A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello folks, the game day preview pod from TalkSport is back to bring you the ultimate podcast preview of every big Premier League game as kickoff gets tantalisingly close. But here it's Ozil and now it's Reese Nelson with the left footed shot, it comes through towards Aubameyang and he drives it low into the corner. Poor kick out from Martin, seized upon by Fleck, into McBurney, must score this time, does score off the goalkeeper. Mahrez curls it left footed, oh it's magnificent from Riyad Mahrez and it's another big moment for Manchester City here's Grealish in the penalty area Grealish puts it on his right foot and puts it in the back of the net there can be no doubt about that that is a stunning finish from a class class player now you may still have to be socially distant but we can take you places you can't get to Crook and I will be at 17 games between us in the first 14 days 100 days from the last Premier League match Aston Villa resumed the season with a tricky test will the Blades cut through the only team with a worse defence than Dominic Cummings City are back in action too as they take on the Gunners a result that might have a huge impact on when Liverpool win the title we will ask what will football look and feel like the FA and the Premier League have put protocols in place to try and make it safe and secure let's just hope they've underscored the key points in bold italics and a big fluorescent highlighter for Jack Grealish Carl Walker and serial offender Serge Aurier all of whom struggled with the simple instruction stay at home fingers crossed this is game day Hello and welcome to the Game Day Preview Podcast from Talk Sport. Now coming to you bi-weekly in order to provide you with the best in-depth previews on the big games. And that is what we do here. Aim to give you the facts to boss that Zoom call or picnic in the park with the mate that thinks he knows it all. I've got one of those. I'll let you see if you can work it out a little bit later on. But first, the game day welcome to the former Ipswich Charlton Republic of Ireland skipper Matt Holland. Hello, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Sam. Yet very excited about the return of Premier League football. Cannot wait now. Uh, lovely to see you and and hear your voice. We're very lucky in the fact that we've got a Zoom call going on here so we can see each other. And behind you, I can see a, a, a library of action. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, that uh, you are a studious character. I know that you, you're very good at making sure that you've got all the information are they all books or are some of those dvds most of them are dvds there are some books though i do read i can read good um but but most of them are dvds uh alex crook is here (laughs) as well the man who's crowbarred his way onto this podcast and breakfast permanently hello how are you I'm good. I'm excited about the restart. I, I said a fond farewell to my golf club this morning because I'm not going to see them for a few weeks now. But I'm looking forward to getting back to, to covering football. I think they probably said a fond farewell to you. No books or DVDs, by the way, behind you. Uh, no, I've got books to my left, actually, oh, and um, quite a few of them I wrote. So I'll, uh, I'll claim that. Ooh. 
Shall we see? Showing off there, yeah. Look, Billy Big Balls is back. Right, shall we start with the odd situation of a Norwich player testing positive for coronavirus, playing against Spurs and no one self-isolating? For the general public at large who have been urged to use the NHS's track and trace system, they'll be a little bit miffed, won't they? I I know that initially I had to think, well, why do they not have to track and trace? And why why do they not have to self-isolate? Crookie, any way to explain it? (laughs) I think because the government want Premier League football to come back. So um, diff- different rules for, for different members of society and, and different industries. Matt, Spurs say they don't have to put players in isolation because none of their squad were in close contact with the Norwich player. Glancing back at the Spurs defence over the course of the season, it's clearly a Norwich attacker then. I mean, I, 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 is there any way that possibly that, that they didn't come into close contact with this player unless he was a substitute and played about a minute? Well, or it could be a goalkeeper. And you're not necessarily in close contact for 15 minutes through the period of the game. Obviously, set pieces and corners, you might be next to the goalkeeper, but not for 15 minutes. So it might have been a goalkeeper. Who knows? But I think the thing you have to remember is that these Premier League players are getting tested twice a week. Hmm. So we'll know if any of the Spurs players have contracted COVID before the season gets back underway. The issue is, though, Crookie, isn't it? If, God forbid, a bunch of Tottenham players now test positive for COVID-19, the resumption is in massive trouble. Yeah, and I have to admit, my heart did sink a bit when you sent the WhatsApp out of I think on Friday night and made the point you've just made about why are Premier League players not having to follow the, the, the trace and track system because if now a few of the Spurs contingent have been infected then I think it has to raise serious question marks and I really pray that doesn't happen. Now, there will be some major differences on Wednesday when we start to go to these matches. I'm going to Manchester City against Arsenal on the opening night. I know, Matt, you're going to Manchester United's game away at Tottenham. And, and Crookie, you've got several games over the, the weekend. The FA have done well putting protocols in place, haven't they? Drinks, breaks, referees, meetings with captains and managers now on the pitch an hour before. Five substitutes. I imagine less fourth official dissent. There's no crowd, obviously. Who will that affect the most, do you think? I mean, we'll get there a bit easier. No traffic. That'll be handy. That's that's one bonus anyway, isn't it? Um, but this uh, this red zone and, and green and amber zones and stuff, we, you know, we'll obviously be up in the in the press rooms, but we won't be able to go down to the tunnel. That's the red zone. And only what I think 100 and odd people are allowed in that in that area. Um, but it is going to feel incredibly strange going to matches without any supporters. Yeah, the supporter thing is going to be interesting. And we touched on this in previous weeks because obviously home teams have have struggled in Germany and you do wonder and I've said this particularly for the smaller sides is it going to be a real problem not having their 12th man I'm looking at Bournemouth the team's now going to enjoy coming to the Vitality which in the past maybe was not the most favourable venue for an away side because it's I, I think that's cramped, worse for Brighton small. though isn't it because Brighton is a lot more expansive isn't it you, it's a nice comfortable environment to be in and there's none of that hostility that sometimes you've got I remember when Tottenham went down there and the whole place was rocking uh, it, it sort of actually unnerved the team that were already a little bit edgy but it's a really nice place to go and play your football I think Brighton are quite looking forward to not having any fans in the stadium because I've got to say the atmosphere at times this season has been a bit toxic. Obviously, we know that Graham Potter has tried to change the playing style. Maybe the players will be more comfortable doing what he wants to do, passing the ball out from the back. And if they've got all the Brighton fans screaming at them to get it upfield. The data suggests that with the German experience that we've had, that we're going to have more changes, more injuries and more problems with players picking up little niggles here and there. Um, would you expect the first two or three matches to see a team playing their strongest team, Matt? Or would you expect managers to have learned from the Bundesliga and actually slowly but surely rotate their squads? I think generally most teams will try and play their strongest team from the off. 
That's what I would anticipate. I think because there's so much ride on it for so many clubs as well. You know, there's obviously Liverpool going to win the title. We know that. There's teams chasing the Champions League and we don't know how far that's going to go down yet, depending on what happens with Man City. Um, so I think there's a lot of teams in contention for that. The relegation battle is the big one and there's so many clubs involved in that as well. Um, so I think I think teams generally will pick their strongest team from the off. You know, the fact that you can use five subs and the game's coming thick and fast, it will benefit the bigger squads, the, the more quality and depth um, that, that sides have, those teams will will benefit the most. I was listening to Roy Hodgson and he was talking about how we're going to have to play a lot of kids. We haven't necessarily got that strength in depth. So there's going to be kids getting opportunities. Well, that's great as well because they're mid-table. They're not going anywhere. So it's a great opportunity for him to do that. But most sides will try and play their strongest team and, and go for it, I think, right from the off. Manchester City versus Arsenal kicks off at 8.15 on Wednesday night. I think it's the jewel in the crown of the two games that are taking place. I think Aston Villa and Sheffield United will provide quite a lot of entertainment, but I'm very much looking forward to going to the Etihad for the first time in a while. Emmerich Laporte looks to be back in training and certainly back part of the squad. Now, him being introduced a little bit too soon actually set them back a little bit, didn't it? I mean, he was substituted very early in their, their previous two games before lockdown. But it's a defence that, that has conceded 31 goals, which is 10 more than Liverpool, more than Leicester, more than Manchester United and more than Sheffield United. They need him back, Matt, don't they? There's no doubt that that's the area that Pep Guardiola needs to strengthen most in the summer. Um, I think that's that's the position that he will be looking. He left himself short at centre-half in the summer with company going and, and not really getting a replacement in. So that's the area he'll be looking to try and strengthen. Um, they still look so good going forward. And Sane coming back as well is going to be great to see him back in a, in a City shirt. But the, the defence is where he wants to be, I think, a little bit better for next year. Um, what do you make of uh, the recruitment of a new assistant manager during this period, Crookie? The, Juan Marlilo is, is sort of like looked upon as a, a doyen by uh, Pep Guardiola. But I, I saw him described this morning as, as someone who is incredibly intense and demanding. Can you imagine having Pep Guardiola and somebody else just as demanding and intense as your management team. Surely you need sort of a yin and a yang, and that's certainly not a yin and a yang, is it? I mean, that is already quite an intense environment. We saw that from the documentary that Amazon put out. Yeah, I think maybe it's an indication that Pep Guardiola knows this season has not quite gone according to plan. It's been a pretty feeble defence of the Premier League title, in all honesty. They've been out the race for a number of months now. And if you look at the Pochettino situation at Tottenham, a lot of people after he left somewhat surprisingly in terms of the timing of it, said basically he's been there too long. Players, and Matt can relate to this, get too used to the same voice in the dressing room. Maybe that's the case at at Manchester City with Pep Guardiola, where he is intense. We know that. Perhaps players have become a bit bored of that. So I don't think a fresh voice, Matt, at this stage could do any harm to to pep them up for the rest of the season because, of course, they're still in the Champions League. And and hopefully they will think that they can have a better stab at getting the title back off Liverpool next season. City will fancy themselves against Arsenal. David Luiz was up to his usual tricks in a sort of pre-resumption game against uh, Brentford recently. Um, But he is a leader in that team. You just know that 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 Arsenal defensive have got a mistake in them. And if you're Sergio Aguero, who scored... 10 goals in 12 games against Arsenal. You'd be licking your lips, wouldn't you, Matt? Oh, would I ever. I'd love to play against that Arsenal defence. I mean, I was a central <laughs> midfielder, not a central striker, but um, if I was a centre-forward and, and you said you could play against that back four every week, I'd be absolutely delighted. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when, you know, I know it's a pre-season warm-up game, um, but the liberties he took in that is absolutely ridiculous. And if he, if he thinks he can do that in front of no fans, well, they're in for a rude awakening. I'd be well scared if I was an Arsenal fan. They overly rely 
on uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He scored 43% of their goals in the Premier League this season. That's a huge amount. It's more of a percentage of, of a club's goals than anybody else in the Premier League. Let's talk a little bit about the fixtures that are coming up for Arsenal because, I mean, Matt, you said challenge for the Champions League next season. I mean, I think we're all pretty much of the opinion that Arsenal aren't going to make the Champions League this season. But even to get into the European places and have any hope of playing European football next year, they need to sort of hope that the Bundesliga trend continues in the Premier League because they've got Manchester City away, Sheffield United away and Spurs away. And that's is bad news because Arsenal are 12th on away results so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I said about challenging for the Champions League next season more in hope than expectation. Hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not anticipating them challenging for the Champions League places again next year. Uh, I, I think they've got absolutely no chance of getting the top four. <laughs> no, this season they've got absolutely zero chance. I give Spurs more of a chance. No way, they've got, way. They I give got a chance either. A, no, they haven't. I give them more of a chance than Arsenal though, and they're they're I think a point ahead of Arsenal with um, and Arsenal got a game in hand. I just don't think that they're capable of, of getting anywhere near Chelsea or Man United uh, and Sheffield United and Wolves' these seasons have been very impressive as well. So there's there's absolutely no chance for me that, that Arsenal can get in the top four this year, and, and I think they'll struggle next season as well. coming forward at pace now towards the edge of the box Grealish takes it on takes on one man moves into the area squares the ball oh, goal for Aston Villa and it's a substitute Conor Hurrahan Bulldog now with a high cross into the penalty area Sharp was shaping for the header not in clear but now it's volley clear and across the face of goal and in Lee Smoussette with an excellent equaliser for Sheffield United I can't hide behind the fact that we're in a, a brilliant position and we're aiming to, to get the next three points and see where that takes us it would always have been a, a, a really difficult game and, um, and, and and it still is, so nothing really changes. Here's Grealish in the penalty area. Grealish puts it on his right foot and puts it in the back of the net. There can be no doubt about that. That is a stunning finish from a class, class player. Aston Villa and Sheffield United is the first game that everyone will be glued to this Wednesday night. And I think it's got the potential, actually, to be a bit of a firecracker of a start. Both have got a lot to play for. Should we start with Aston Villa? The data is against them. I mean, I've been drilling down into it. You know, on expected points, this team should have less points than Norwich already in the bag. But will John McGinn's return and and the enforced break sort of give them a change of fortunes, Matt, do you think? Is there anything Dean Smith can do to revive them? It will help because he started the season so well, John McGinn, um, and it was an unfortunate injury he picked up and they've missed him. So it will help him coming back. But they're the worst defence in the league uh, for a reason. Um, You know, he doesn't know whether to play a back three, a back four. He's not really sure of his his best uh, formation to try and keep goals out. Uh, So that's been a major problem for them. Tom Heaton is a big loss Mm. in goal as well. You know, a lot of clubs are getting players back after this lockdown. Unfortunately, Tom Heaton won't be one of those for Aston Villa and I think he's a big player for them as well. I've looked at the fixture list and it doesn't look great for Aston Villa. Teams around them have got better fixtures than they've got. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of hope for Aston Villa, particularly the way that they've uh, defended this season. Worst defence in the league, as Matt's already mentioned, and five of their remaining ten games are against the top seven clubs, Crookie. Your old mate, Dean Smith, who you get on very well with. I think you matched on Tinder, didn't you? You're, you're, <laughs> unlike, you're unlikely, uh, unlikely to have to see him again next year. No, that would be a shame, um, my old pal. But um, <laughs> set up a Zoom meeting, you'll be fine. Said so, so with no sarcasm at all. But I've got their fixtures in front of me, actually, and Matt's alluded to it there. 
I can't see where the wins are coming from. Uh, you know, you can make a case for them beating Palace at home. Apart from that, you just can't see they're going to accumulate enough points to survive. I was quite impressed with Samata um, towards the end, but it's asking an awful lot, isn't it? I think he's a physical presence, which they needed. I don't think they scored a heady goal before he arrived. But as you say, it's the other end. Tyrone Mings, for me, massively promoted above his station to get into the England squad. I think he's got a mistake in him. McGinn, obviously, is going to be massive, but how fit is he going to be? It's a lot of pressure when he hasn't played for so long. And Jack Grealish, again, I wonder if some of the things that he's been up to off the pitch in lockdown may cause him problems on the pitch because he's going to be in the spotlight. He's going to be under the scrutiny. He's pretty much got to carry that team single-handedly. It's a lot of responsibility. I just can't see it. He's not going to have the crowd singing anything True. towards him either, is he? And I, and I, I look at Jack Greenish and the character that he is. He doesn't seem too phased by that type of thing. You know, certain players, if there's things happened off the field, it affects them massively. I'll go back and I look at Lee Bowyer, Jonathan Woodgate at Leeds United many years ago. Jonathan Woodgate was a shadow because of what had happened off the field. He came back and he just couldn't perform at the level that he wanted to. Lee Bowyer had absolutely no trouble in playing his best football and I think Jack Greenish should be fine. Yeah, um, they were only outspent in Europe by Real Madrid, but they needed a lot of new players because of the way that they were structured last year when they had so many loan players. So they needed to bring people in. Was it always going to be difficult for them to meld that into a team? Or or was it actually a flawed recruitment strategy, do you think? I don't think they learned lessons from Fulham because they tried to do the same thing the previous summer and went down without a whimper. Was it three managers over the course of the season? And I think they bought the wrong players. They didn't recruit proven Premier League players. Even Tyrone Mings, we mentioned him again, they spent a lot of money on wasn't really a proven Premier League player. He hadn't got you many minutes under again. his belt at Bournemouth. <laughs> Same with Matt Target. And without an axe to grind, I'm not saying this with an axe to grind. Don't say Tyrone Mings again. No, I think more questions should have been asked about Dean Smith and his recruitment. Well, do you think I he really gets do. away with it because he's a massive Villa fan? Yeah, I do. Although I did detect that there were some dissenting voices amongst the Aston Villa fans before the season was halted because they weren't seeing progress. I thought they played quite well in that cup final against Manchester City, but City were playing in third gear and were were always going to score enough goals to win the game. But yeah, I I, I do think his standing with the Aston Villa fans, the fact he used to sit behind the goal in the whole end, does earn him a little bit of of respite. But the other point that, that I wanted to make about Aston Villa is John Terry. I mean, you mentioned about good coaching there. They've got one of the best defenders the Premier League has ever seen but they can't head away corners and free kicks. Is John Terry being given enough leeway to work with that Aston Villa defence? Well, that is, a, that is a good question. I wonder whether or not if Dean Smith doesn't survive the end of the season, whether John Terry is going to get the opportunity to step into those shoes. I mean, it is a big job to do, to step into to, to a club like Aston Villa. It is the club in Birmingham, isn't it? I know Birmingham City fans will be annoyed about that, but ultimately Aston Villa is a huge monolith of a of a place, let alone with the history that's associated with them. They're European Cup winners from 1980. They're, they're league winners. They were the team that ran Liverpool closest at the, the beginning of the the 1990s they you know they're they're a big big club we're not privy to what goes on on the training ground we don't know how much John Terry does those are things that we don't know from my side it would be really interesting to go and watch an Aston Villa training session and what they're doing 
with their back four, back three, whatever it is, the system they want to play and, and what John Terry's input is on that. But I would love to be able to be a, a fly on the wall and go and watch training for a while. None of these problems uh, have befallen at Sheffield United. Villa, they've lost their last four matches and despite Dean Smith's very positive mood in his press conference on Monday, they look to have an uphill battle uh, to me. I was checking in with the uh, Sheffield United captain this week, Billy Sharp, ahead of the restart to look at how lockdown has affected their momentum and him personally. Feel good, feel, feel as though I'm fitter and uh, stronger than I was before I left, which is which is good, but is the fear factor of what I think all managers and all players will have at the minute about how you know, how are you in terms to other people, but we'll find out soon and we're, we're confident we're in good shape. So uh, hopefully we, we, we are and we can continue to do what we've been doing. What's it going to be like to be back on the pitch playing a competitive game? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be such a, a relief for all, everybody involved in the sport, really, the players, the fans. I, I know I, I want the fans in the stadium because I thrive off the fans and I know the fans want to be in the stadium, but... It's about trying to play football, competitive football, um, in the safest environment, which everybody understands. But um, hopefully, you know, hopefully next season we, we get the fans back. But playing football without no fans is a lot better than having no football at all, definitely. Do you feel added pressure because you're playing in the first game back? It's, it, you know, it's, it's almost like if, if it goes wrong for you lot, then we're all in massive trouble. <laughs> we we kind of like that, though. You know, um, everybody... We'll be watching, but like you say, there'll be probably more people watching now because it is the first game and hopefully we don't <laughs> put on a bad show so nobody tunes into the game after. But um, no, we're looking forward to it. It's uh, going to be something different. We're going to have to adapt to it and uh, it's the same for both teams. So we need to make sure we're, we're better than the other team at what we're going to be doing. Are you, you face Aston Villa in that first game. Happy memories for you against them. I read that Tyrone Mings is worried about coming up against you after last season. <laughs> I'm sure that's been changed by the uh, whoever did the report. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair play. I, I scored a hat trick last year there at Villa Park, and um, we ended up trying again for all, which is the biggest disappointment because we didn't get uh, to the top of the league and obviously missed out on the three points. But um, yeah, it's nice to be recognised by your, your fellow peers. But um, I'm sure it got twisted a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's he's a strong opponent, and I'm looking forward to the challenge ahead. You've scored goals in League One. You've scored goals in the Championship. You've scored goals now in the Premier League as well. What about scoring goals that might get your team into the Champions League? I've got goals in League Two as well, which I'm not ashamed about. I'm proud of them. They were the first ones for Russian and Diamonds. But yeah, to to hopefully contribute some more goals to the end of the season um, and contribute to good performances to hopefully uh, the team picking up a lot of points. If we can make Europe, I'm not going to lie, it'll be some achievement. Um, but we, we believe we can do it and we're going to give everything that we've got to, to try and do that for ourselves and the fans, definitely. To me, Sheffield United are really great to watch and their away record is pretty impressive. You can tell by listening to Billy that he feels as if they can continue that momentum that they were gathering prior to lockdown afterwards. I think it might be difficult, but away from home, this is a team that have only lost twice all season and those two defeats have come at Manchester City and Liverpool. Matt, you can see why people fancy them not only at Villa, but to go on and continue this? You can pretty much name the 11 for Sheffield United. You know, they play the same way 
every single game. You know, you, you talk about tactics and, you know, knowing what you're doing when you, when you go out onto the pitch. Well, Sheffield United know exactly what they're doing. The way they play with their, their two wider centre-backs, making those runs on the outside of the wing-backs who narrow off a little bit to allow that space. Norwood sitting in for them when they go forward. They know their jobs to an absolute T. What I would say about Sheffield United and, and something that's going to you know, be important to them, I think, going forward, they don't score enough goals. They've only got 30 this season in the Premier League. And I know he, and I know he's he brought a few in, in in the summer in there. You know, Matt Burney came in, Moussa came in. But that is an area that Chris Wilder will look to try and rectify, I think, in the summer because that's the, the biggest problem position for them. But I've loved watching them and I love the way they go about it. And tactically, every single player knows their job. Is there any argument that could be made for the fact that they seem to perform really well in front of a crowd, in front of their their their, their wonderful support at Bramall Lane, and that could hamper them. Well, it's always nice to have your, your home support behind you, and, and you know the, I've been there a couple of times this season. The atmosphere is always so good. Have you I mean, had a greasy I'm, chip butty? No, I haven't. I, I, tell you, have <laughs> I won't ask Crook that question. Have you seen me, Sam? Seriously? <laughs> Hello. Come on, have I had a, had a greasy chip butty? Uh, no, of course you, I haven't. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even sniff one, would you? No, don't be silly. Don't be silly. No, I'd love one, actually. But um, <laughs> uh, no, I, look, it, it, it's always nice to have that home crowd behind it. But I don't think that will overly uh, affect them at all. Um, just on just on um, Henderson as well. I, interested with the um, the man management of Chris Wilder with, with Henderson. Yeah. Earlier in the season, yeah. that... That is the goal he let in against Liverpool. Well, and afterwards, the interview they did with me in the tunnel afterwards, yeah. which obviously went viral because it was well, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was yeah. frank and honest, and he said, you know, it's not good enough. And he said, if he wants to be Manchester United's number one goalkeeper, he can't make mistakes like that. Brilliant! I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Some people didn't, and, though, did they? Well, I think Chris Wilder has to acknowledge or understand which players can take that yeah. and which players can't. And he, he obviously knows. spends enough time with Dean Henderson to have made that judgment and knows. He's a very clever man. He knows his character and he knows that he, he won't be unduly affected by having a, a pop at him, if you like, in public or just questioning him and just, just bringing him back down to earth again. I thought that was a brilliant piece of man management earlier in the season. And he's obviously got that way with the players that they they respond to what he says to them. Um, and I thought that was very good in the se- early in the season. He did lose his rag uh, in the press conference on Monday uh, because um, people kept asking questions about Champions League and Europe. And he said, basically, can we focus on Aston Villa, please? Because that is the next game. And we've got to do that. They've got to be careful. I remember when Reading were first promoted to the Premier League. Again, they got over 100 points in the Championship. They were fantastic for the first year in the Premier League. I think they missed out on a European place on the last day of the season ended up being relegated the next year. And I don't want to remind you, Matt, but after your UEFA Cup campaign, Ipswich struggled, didn't they, the following season? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the uh, biggest problem for us was obviously qualifying for Europe. That was that was a, an issue, playing Thursday, Sunday in a smaller squad, not being able to cope with the demands that, that Europe brought with it. And I also think that we brought a couple of players who were on, and I'm not blaming them personally, uh, on bigger money, came for big transfer fees and I think he upset the atmosphere in the dressing room Fanini you know? George well listen Fanini was a good player really good player um, but unfortunately he was on he was on four times more than the, the majority of the squad in the, in the dressing room <laughs> and he had and, a bigger and, car than well, you <laughs> listen and when and when a team have been pushing and together for four yeah. five years trying to get promoted and you've been together and done it and been successful someone comes in and is four times more than the rest of the dressing room everyone's going hang on a minute this is this can't be right and i think that upset 
the, the atmosphere inside the dressing room. So that's something they have to be careful of. Of course, they want to improve. Of course, they want to, to cement their place in the Premier League and, and as be high up the table as possible and challenge for Europe, all those things. But you have to be a little bit careful in terms of the characters, the money that you spend on players, uh, not to upset the ones who've done so well in getting you to where you are. Um, well, as uh, advised by Chris Wilder, we focus mostly on the uh, Aston Villa game, which is on Wednesday night. But we will talk top four predictions shortly. And we're going to hear from Theo. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Walk up. Football restarting has given you a chance to reassess your dream team options, hasn't it? So let's talk to dream team Butler himself to refresh and revitalise your flaccid league charge. Uh, Andrew Butler, you are um, excited about the resumption, are you? Have you refreshed your team? I, I suppose that's the first question. I almost can't believe that it's coming back around. Yeah, I feel like a kid at Christmas, but it's, you know, it's June and I'm ex- incredibly excited, as you can probably tell by my voice. Um, yeah. And I have changed up my team a little bit, yeah. That's good. Well, can you unwrap some gems for us, a little presents to our listeners? What is Butler's banker for the restart? So I, I, I think you just have to look at the players who've performed really well this season already. And Sadio Mane, for me, at 6.8 million. He's got 207 points. Liverpool just want to get it wrapped up early doors, won't they? And uh, mm. they should be playing their strongest 11 in their first few matches. Mane's got four goals, two assists in 11 games against Everton um, over the course of his career. And then if you look a, a little bit ahead, they've got Crystal Palace after that. Uh, and they're the team that he's scored the most goals against in his career with 8-11. Um, he's the second highest point scorer in Dream Team uh, this season with 207 points just behind um, his teammate Mo Salah. But I think you've got to look at Mane. 
He's been in my team all season and he's not coming out now. He's been absolutely <laughs> top drawer, hasn't he? Um, I think he's been the standout player in Liverpool's front three, uh, probably rivaling Van Dijk and Henderson for their player of the year. Uh, so I've got absolutely no reason to take him out my side now. Joint top scorer last season. The fact that all three of them finished on the same number of goals, 22, cost me a lot of money in betting terms. Um, <laughs> who gets the honour of being bestowed Butler's beauty this week? I mean, I just think it can only be one person. I think it has to be Marcus Rashford. Um, All right off the field. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's obviously coming back from injury. It looked like his season was was going to be cut short with his back injury, obviously. But um, he's become such a hero off the pitch that... I just, I just wanted to mention him in some way, just to 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 show my appreciation for what he's done during um, uh, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. But you know, if we're looking at dream team score, he's also got 186 points and a uh, 4.8 million. So not bad, um, not bad. There's that to go on as well. Yeah, it's a massive bonus, isn't it, for United to have a a fully fit and a fully firing Marcus Rashford. I think he's already been dream team star man off the pitch over these past couple of weeks and. I'm proud of him. You know, he's he's only a young man. He's come through the academy at United. Um, my eight-year-old son adores him and he's got his shirt with his name and number on the back. And what, what better role model is there around at the moment? And I do wonder, maybe Matt can answer this question. Sometimes when you're a footballer and you're thrust into the spotlight as Marcus Rashford has been with the work that he's done during this pandemic, will that almost give him an extra aura, an extra air of confidence when he steps over the white line and goes back to the pitch? might do he's um i think he's been the big winner in this lockdown hasn't he in the premier league there's been some really you know standout things that players have done uh harry kane of course sponsoring orient um jordan henderson leading the the charge in trying to raise money for the nhs but what marcus rashford has done has been absolutely incredible so it might just give him that little bit more confidence going out onto the pitch but i think he he's grown this year anyway I think his performances this year have been mature and he's, he's got better and better as the season's gone on. Uh, now, you always have to be a little bit careful, don't you, of those post-break pitfalls, the ones that scored a plethora of points beforehand but ain't getting any now because they've moved on or out of contract or injured. So who's Butler's badden? Well, it's unfortunately, it's got to be Ricardo Pereira because whilst we're celebrating all these players coming back from injury and it's great for the Premier League to basically be at pretty much full strength, um, poor Ricardo Pereira uh, got injured with a quite serious cruciate in- injury um, in the last game before the Premier League um, was cut short. So mm. it went, went slightly under the radar, as, as you would expect. But um, he had such a fantastic season before then, got 163 points. Uh, and is in the game at 4.8 million, but there's 17.4% of teams that still have him in, so they need to get rid of him. I guess is the challenge, isn't it? Because I've loaded up my team with players who've got two matches back-to-back this week, so mm. Sheffield United, Arsenal, Manchester risky, City risky. and Aston Villa. But Kevin De Bruyne, for example, is he going to play Wednesday night and then again at the weekend? Um, and you mentioned Liverpool. I think Liverpool's a bit of a gamble as well because... Sadio Mane presumably will only play until Liverpool have got the league title sign up and then Klopp will just put the kids in, won't he? No. I don't think so. I think he's got all sorts of records that they're going for as well, aren't they? He'll want to finish this season strongly. I know he'll obviously have an eye on next year as well and trying to defend the title, but um, I think there's, he's got eyes on records this season. He'll be looking to try and win as many games as possible, as many points as possible. I'm not sure that I'm uh, happy with um, Butler's badden. 
I'm not, I, I think you need to get your thesaurus out and see if you can find a little bit of alliteration uh, <laughs> or another word You'll there. You'll see that the thesaurus is up there somewhere. Yeah, uh, somewhere. Yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's, not a, that's not a very impressive bookshelf that you've got behind you. Usually on Zoom calls, you see these impressive libraries from the luminaries of the political world. Look at Matt Holland. Matt Holland looked like he's, you know, he's... Uh, he, Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Are they just, are they just DVDs? DVDs? Most of those are DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool and Manchester City look to have the top two places sewn up, but who are your two to finish in the Champions League places with the map? I've gone for Leicester, third, and Man United, fourth. All right. Okay. What about you, Crook? I agree with Matt. I I think Leicester have probably got enough points in the bank, and actually the break came at a good time for them because they weren't in fantastic form. Brendan Rodgers will be hoping they've got their mojo back now, and I think Manchester United, with people like Rashford and like Popper coming back, owing to the fact that they are on this long unbeaten run, I think they will overhaul your boys, Chelsea. You, you probably yeah. won't agree with us, but I'm going to go with Matt on that. Well, look, I, I, look, I think Leicester will make it. I think um, they're flying in training, apparently. They've got a regular goal scorer. I think a little bit more consistency is required from the likes of Tielemans and, and Damari Gray and some of the other younger players that are coming through. Ben Jewell didn't have a particularly good winter but they all had a great start to the campaign I think they were probably punching above their weight if you look at the points metric actually they've probably got more points than 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 they deserved over the course of the season as far as the data is concerned and Ricardo Pereira I think will be a huge miss for them at right fullback because he's so good at getting forward I think Chelsea I mean they're a little bit like a, a British Airways 747 aren't they they're not quite first class up top premium economy in the middle and average at the back. They missed too many chances and they've got an average goalkeeper. Uh, they've been pretty good in practice from what I understand. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is back and that will provide a goal threat from midfield and if they can hold off the threat of Manchester United, I think that then they have had a very, very good season because they didn't buy anybody going into the, the league season and they didn't buy anyone in January and they've used a lot of the kids. So if they can hold off the big spending powerhouse from Old Trafford, then they've done a fantastic job. But it's going to be a stretch. Oh, Chelsea, look, the, the paupers of the Premier League. Bless their hearts. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I think it's touch and go. Um, they've got some difficult fixtures. I mean, they've got Sheffield United to play, Manchester City to play. They've got Wolves to play. It's going to be tough for them. But look, they've got a big squad. And I think you know Chris Wilder intimated in his press conference, as we mentioned at the top of the programme, that big teams will benefit from the rule change on subs because they can use five. Um, and, and Matt, I suppose Chelsea fall into that category, don't they? Yeah, and, the, and I think I've been impressed with them this season is the integration of some of the younger players and how they've developed as well. I think that's been good to watch from Frank Lampard. You know, he's put faith in the likes of Reese James and Mason Mount, um, Tammy Abraham, Tamori. Those types of players have been given minutes and I think that's been really good to see. So they'll, they'll obviously play a big part and Ruben Loftus-Sheet coming back is good as well. But Man United, just for me, the fixtures on paper look great. Pogba Rashford fit. There's a lot to play for for them. They've got the FA Cup, the Europa League, trying to reach the top four as well. I just think they've got the bit between the teeth. Defensively, I think they've been not bad, actually, this year. The rivals of, of Wan-Bissaka and Maguire have definitely helped. Uh, so I just think that United are going to have the, the edge in terms of, of reaching the top four, albeit their results this season against the teams in the bottom half of the season haven't been as good as those against the teams in the top half of the mm. season. I do wonder for Chelsea as well, Matt mentioned there, their young players... Again, could the break have come at the wrong time? Because people like Mason Mount have had such a meteoric rise. Abraham 
as well to a certain extent they may have spent the last few weeks pondering that and sometimes too much thinking time to think about how far they've come could be dangerous you're hoping you're just hoping aren't you you're just hoping that that's the case yeah he's clutching there. the psychological yeah, yeah, yeah. side no, of, no, no. I, I, I Billy, Gil- Billy Gilmore players. came back played in a game against Queen's Park Rangers on uh, Sunday in a behind closed doors friendly um, or was it Monday it was Sunday I can't remember uh, but um, he scored twice in that game yeah, Ruben off the street scoring twice in that game there's some good players in that Chelsea squad don't get too excited just yet by the way no no if, when if you've they, lost if to they, Tottenham put, on Friday night <laughs> and uh, you know you had a little bit of a wobble and then you go to Sheffield United and drop points you know you you might have bigger things to worry about you might be begging the court of arbitration for sport to extend it to five places you never know Uh, can we make a case for Wolverhampton Wanderers yeah I don't think so Oh, split decision go Matt I think think you can make a case for them I think the break came at a great time because of the amount of games that they've had where where they started the season uh, back, back in July they've played the most games I think of any team in the Premier League maybe the same as Liverpool um, and a lot of the players have played a lot of those well, minutes Well, they've only used well. 20 players exactly. in the Premier League, which would be a little bit concerning if big squads it, are the way forward it, in this period. But the manager likes that smaller squad, that tight-knit community in his dressing room. Um, and I know they've had a lot of games, but the break might just come at a good time for them. Uh, for me, Raul Jimenez has been top draw this year. I think he's been their player of the year. There's been a lot of talk about Adama Traore. Well, for me, he's been the most improved player in the Premier League. But Raul Jimenez has been Wolves' best player this season. The way he, he plays, I'm just such a big fan of that lone striker role, the dropping in, linking play, getting himself in the box, decent in the air, good hold-up play, strong, runs the channels. He's got a bit of everything and he's got he's got a big move in him. Although my worry is that teams look at his age, 29, coming up 30, and worry about paying big money for him. But potentially he's got a big move in him. Uh, what about at the bottom of the table where relegation looks to have been almost a certainty for quite some while now for Norwich City? I don't think we can see any way back for them. I mean, they're just too far off the pace at this stage of the season, even if they're on a terrific run. They play some good football. They should have more points in the bag than they've got. But I don't think that they're going to... Uh, there's not going to be three teams that are, are, are going to drop that many points that Norwich City end up staying up. Matt? Put this on record. I've got sympathy for Norwich because I've watched them wow. so many times. Whoa. I've watched them so many times and been really impressed with them. I was at Carrow Road to watch them beat Man City. Now, Man City, press you, press you, press you. And you've got to be good to be able to play through that press. And Norwich played through that press and beat them and deservedly beat them that night. They are a very talented side. They've got a lot of young players who are going to be courted by other teams in the Premier League if they do go down. Max Ahrens, Todd Campwell, Wendia. The list goes on, Jamal Lewis. There's a lot of players there that that teams will be looking at. I've been really impressed with them. But here's the caveat. (laughs) They're going to go down. They're going down. (laughs) They've won won five all season. They've got to win five of the last nine. Those first two games against Southampton and Everton at Carrow Road are absolutely vital, just to give themselves a fighting chance. But for them to win five out of the last nine, I think is a tall order and highly unlikely. So I'm I've got Norwich going down. Let's quickly talk about the other two teams we expect to go down with them. I'm I'm going to go for Aston Villa because I just don't think defensively they're reliable enough. I think they concede far too many goals. The worst defence in the league usually ends up succumbing to relegation and and that is what they are with, with nine games left to play. Um, and I worry about Brighton and Hove Albion as well because of the big fixtures that they have to play and they haven't won in 2020. I think it's a tall order for them to stay in the Premier League, Matt. 
Totally agree. I'm with you with Aston Villa. I think they're gone as well. Fixture list is is horrendous, uh, and I, you know, too many signings in the summer. They haven't really been able to gel at any stage throughout the course of the season. Good players, yes, McGinn and Grealish, but won't have enough to stay up. Uh, so I think Villa and Norwich are down, and I'm with you as well with with Brighton. I think I think it's between Brighton and Bournemouth that last that last spot. Um, that won't please you, Crookie, where you, you're located in the country, I'm afraid. But um, it's what what you're going to lose one of them, at, at least, I think. I think Watford un, under Pearson, we, we saw enough of them to suggest that they're going to be OK. I'm not, I'm not sure Watford are out of the woods just yet. I still think that start to the season may come back to haunt them. They had that upturn under Nigel Pearson. When actually, we thought they were looking for mid-table. The wheels did start to come off a little bit before they had that amazing win against Liverpool so I wouldn't rule them out the equation West Ham I think will have enough so I would say it's between Brighton and Watford on the basis that I think Bournemouth will pick up more points than you think I, I, I think Bournemouth are, I hope Bournemouth end up surviving because I've, I've got a bit of affiliation with Eddie as, as we always end up talking about the fact that he, I think he's just a, a good coach and I think he spent a lot of time on the training field the Watford thing's really conflicting me I, I have got a real issue with this because um, regular listeners to this podcast will know that back in December, I made the bold prediction that, that that Watford were already down and that if they stayed up, that I would get a tattoo of a hornet on my body. And the Watford fans obviously got on the back of it. Now, obviously, there, there wasn't that many people who sort of latched onto it. So whilst during lockdown we were playing some quizzes with Troy Deeney, Alex Crook thought he'd bring this up again. So now Troy Deeney knows that if they stay up, I've got to have a tattoo of a hornet somewhere on my person. And Troy Deeney has volunteered to do it. And you're going to have to go in that dressing room and show those players exactly where you put that hornet as well. (laughs) It's definitely going to be somewhere where it stings, that's for sure. Time now for another of our big name Premier League interviews. During lockdown, I've been writing a book called Arsenal Match of My Life. Among those I interviewed was the England forward Theo Walcott. And I began by asking him all about his move from Southampton to North London at the tender age of just 16. Yeah, it, it was very, very surreal, to be honest. I'm in Southampton in the, with the yeah, reserves and, and the scholars and there's all this talk of me on me leaving. I've obviously played for the first team, but I was still with the scholars and in their dressing room and stuff like that. So it was just, again different but and a lot of players saying you you know you're leaving blah 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 and stuff like that. So it was hard for me to actually lie and it was really difficult for me to tell them that I was going to leave and I couldn't tell them at all and then I suddenly I'm, I don't turn up at training and I'm getting all sorts of messages come through and I had to ignore it and it was so hard for me not to tell them until the news broke and then, yeah it was pretty obvious then but the World Cup was the was the mad one for me because I'd just be sitting here and then I'd see my name come up on the TV like I'm in this squad and it was that's how it was for me. And then I got the phone call eventually. And then there's all this chatter going on. And I was with my old man, and I just thought, let's not put this. Turn this off. Let's just turn it off. Yeah. Let's. Yeah, it was. It was just too much for me to take in, to be honest. Being so young and just thinking, this is, this is way too much right now. I can't take this. Um, even though it's a very exciting time for me, it just felt I'm just a bit overwhelmed at the moment. I can imagine. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of interest. I'm not going to ask you how close you came to joining other clubs, but the fact you went to Arsenal, you've mentioned already that for you, Arsenal was all about Arsenal and Thierry Henry. Was that the deciding mm. factor to be tutored by Arsenal and, and, and to play alongside Thierry? 
Yeah, it was the attractive side of the of the way Arsenal played as well. With the you know the pace and the, just the interchange of players and and particularly Thierry. Yeah, you know, at sixteen, you don't really you just think about playing with freedom and just expressing yourself. You don't really look too much into tactics and stuff at that age. I, I wouldn't have thought. Well, I didn't anyway. It seemed to work for me. But um, yeah, Thierry. You know, when you're in that school and you're like you're you're playing a game and then you act like you're Thierry. You, every player, as a kid, you just act like a player. And that's how I was like at school. I just wanted to just be him. And then and me actually getting the chance to meet him and play with him. The pictures I've got with him, I'm a starstruck little boy. Like when I'm meeting him, I really am. When I went in the dressing room, it was so, it was a lot to take in again. Uh, but I remember Ashley Cole, Sol grabbed me and just put their arm around me and looked after me straight away from day one all the way until they, until they left, um, which was great having those two strong characters to be, you know, be just sort of looking out for me um, in a dressing room that obviously won, you know, the Invincibles, of, you know, a couple of seasons before that. Yeah, it was, it was a lot to take in, but I felt I was ready to really, that's, that's the reason why I moved. And I just felt like, yeah, I can, I can, I can make my name here and I managed to in the end, yeah. I read in an interview you did about your, the sprints in training and Thierry obviously used to have a monopoly on that. And then suddenly you turned up, someone who could run the 100 metres in, 11 seconds or something and you beat him in a sprint mm. how did that go down yeah so when we did the sprint test i always said to them we need to do it actually against each other because then you actually you're competing and i feel like that's right but they never did that they never did that i think they did that towards the end when hector eventually broke mine but yeah first breaking thierry's knowing how powerful and strong he was i just thought oh god I could, i'm quicker than thierry it's just nice to say when you, <laughs> yeah. you're 16 17 you're like, i'm quicker than thierry so it's it wasn't about that i just i remember after training, Thierry would always grab Ashley. He would grab Ashley Cole at times, and he would always say, "Look, I'm going to knock the ball here. You can, you know, I'm going to go, but I will always get there before you." And it's just the way he made it, and just how easy he made it look, running, gliding. He just glided past players. So I would try against Ashley, but physically I wasn't as strong as him, so he could just, nah. you know, sort of brush me away. But eventually, I managed to, you know, train against Ashley every day, and then seeing the way Thierry would train against him, seeing different ways to get past him. That just sort of stuck with me. And I thought, okay, yeah. And then me and Ashley, obviously, when he moved on, we played a lot and we had a lot of great battles together. Theo Walcott talking to uh, Alex Crook uh, for a new book, which is coming out very shortly. Just to, just quickly, uh, you're obviously concerned about Brighton and Bournemouth being relegated. If that's the case, you could just write more books, couldn't you? Well, yeah. Um, I've sort to. of deviated away from the South Coast. So, yeah, let's find another London club maybe that we, we can do a book on. All right, OK. Um, Theo Walcott, I think he's a really great talker. He's an engaging guy. He's, a, he's, he's always very polite. I think he was very expansive with you there. Um, I, I think Everton will miss him, actually, because he was a, he was a useful resource for Carlo Ancelotti. I, I don't think he's set the world alight since he's gone to, to Goodison Park, but I also believe that there, there's still more to come from him, isn't there? He, he was someone who was signed at a very young age. He wasn't part of a great Arsenal side. That is to say that the Arsenal team that he joined was, was not the Invincibles. A lot of those players had been or, or, or were moving on to other clubs. I think he had a pretty good Arsenal career. He's got the trophies to back that up. I think his career at Everton has been hampered by injuries but I agree with Sam I think when he when he has been able to get out on the pitch I think he's, he's made a difference okay well we we'll talk more about Everton on Friday's pod uh, where we look at all of the games over the first full weekend 
of Premier League action. Alex Crook, thank you very much. See you again later in the week. Matt Holland, thank you very much to you as well. It's been a delight to have your company and thank you very much to Andrew Butler from Dream Team who's a big part of today's podcast. Remember, please rate and review the podcast. Share it with all your mates. This is the best place to get your preview to all the big Premier League action throughout the week. We're back every single match day. So when there's two matches in a week, we'll be here to guide you through the choppy waters of Premier League football to make sure that you've got the knowledge to sound off against your mates in the virtual pub, I suppose it still is. Speak soon. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.